Welcome to the RPGBot.podcast. It's me, Randall, along with Tyler and Random. This is the second part of our two-part series on adapting media to tabletop gaming. I hope you enjoy. The thing that I wanted to adapt was not a game. It was, in fact... Well, I guess it could be a game, depending. Once again, I think the Venn diagram of people who watch science fiction movies and people who play video games is pretty narrow um, and close to a circle. But in case uh, you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, which is a movie that I adore, uh, and have played Deathloop, which is a very recent, very mechanically similar, basically my plan for this is... So the the why that I want out of this is well, actually no you can you can stop because you had me at Edge of Tomorrow exactly <laughs> I love that movie and I think it is criminally underrated because of its awful marketing campaign I think people figured it out there like real quick just to lay it out so the premise of Edge of Tomorrow for the folks at home uh, one pause this recording go watch it we'll have a link in the show notes you'll be able to get it the the premise of it is Tom Cruise isn't Okay, <laughs> that's the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're ready to go. No, uh, so Tom Cruise is... Okay, uh, start over. Aliens have invaded the Earth. The aliens are kicking our teeth in. We keep making strategies, and every time we make a strategy, they just like react perfectly to the strategy, and they take us out. Tom Cruise is the media person embedded in the military who's helping them make recruiting videos like... Fight for the world, fight for humanity, take down the aliens. It's going to be great. And the leader of the resistance says to Tom Cruise's character, you're going to go in on the front line and you're going to record on the front line when we go have this battle because seeing you there will let people know that this is serious and it's real. And Tom Cruise is like, nah, I don't do that. I stand back here where I'm not going to get eaten by an alien. Thank you very much. And the punchline is Tom Cruise has to go fight. And early on, something happens to him to where he can, uh, when he dies, he just resets to the morning that just shenanigans started. And this is not a terrible amount of spoilers because this is literally the first five minutes of the film. Yeah. And then you go from there. So I, I loved this concept, and I really wanted to take this concept and run. It's like Groundhog Day meets sci-fi. You get to do the same thing every day. You have the same dependable... Until you mess with the tree, the tree of things that people are doing is constant. So you just hop in where you want to. Right. Uh, so <laughs> didn't we just do Dark Souls? Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, here's what I... I mean, a little bit. Uh, yeah. Here's what I wanted to pull out of this is where Dark Souls, you are expected to just throw your face at an encounter until you learn it and can beat it as a fight. I want this to be the, – the feel of it that I want is really just the when you mess up and die, you begin the whole loop again. And that you can just port into anything. I mean, you you wouldn't actually need to change anything about 5th edition if you wrote your story well. And where I would say with a small caveat of but is I would want a lot of this to rely on skill challenges because – any of the actual stand-up fights in, in in Edge of Tomorrow, you're not supposed to win. There's aliens. There's a billion aliens. You're going to die. And while the 
the point of the movie was, you know, training, memorizing, getting good so that you can win those battles. That doesn't actually feel to me like doing the fight good. That's completely in your mind. That's completely doing the right training. You know, it's practically a dance at that point. And so I would say, you know, for my players, you're going to have to do these fights a couple times to figure out what sort of skills you can use. And then I would say, okay, great. You've had this fight three times. I'm going to give you bonuses for how well you did on each of the increasingly, you're like, you got to one step, then you got five steps, then you got 20 steps. I'm going to give you bonuses for those. And then we're going to do a skill challenge to actually make it past that story beat. And then you go from there. And basically... I'll even say, like, I can imagine essentially letting your characters off the hook. Like, I I brought up this idea of a tree, and I do think you could do something like that in your story where you say, like, yeah, sure, if you want to do this activity, then this activity, then fight this thing. The third time you complete it, or the second time, or maybe even the first time, depending on how it all goes, like, can we come up with some criteria such that if you try to do this in the same order again... I just let you through. And, and that is absolutely part of it. The The first time you try and pass the skill challenge, it's difficult. The second time you try and pass the skill challenge, it's less difficult. And so on and so on. Yeah, okay. At some point, every single time, you're going to have that, okay, well, I I did in fact roll a two because, well, I did memorize you know all of the steps to this dance. I then got it in my head because I was thinking about that thing four plot points from now and I dodged left instead of right. So I still want there to be some capacity for failure, but have it be substantially mitigated the more times you do it. And with that said, if people do actually win a fight, great. You you pass that part, and then I'm going to say, okay, for this particular piece, you won the fight. You now know how to win that fight. You're never going to have to skill challenge it. You're never going to have to do anything because you actually mechanically won that fight. Great. Nailed it. And then you just build your story out from there. And like I said, you, I mean, apart from just adding skill challenges, that's literally just writing. Just write how you want this story to go, and you could apply that feel to anything. I mean, in fact, I actually started thinking about what I would do to write that story because, like, hmm, you know? I uh, I don't know if 5th edition has actually imported all of the inevitables, but I don't <laughs> think they got nearly enough love and so, boy, wouldn't that be a fun being to be working for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I should say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Good. Cool. Okay. Maybe we'll It'll play be a that fun game. surprise for you. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> right. uh, one of the things that I feel like the film did really well is resetting the meaning of being in a particular area or being at a particular point in the timeline. Um, so for, for folks at home who have seen it, Tom Cruise's character wants to find a particular character and does in the heat of battle. And that character basically says, congratulations, you've been granted my trust through time somehow. Just find me and tell me this story again, not in, not now, but like a few hours ago, because it's going to be better for all of us if you just told me a few hours ago. So that was a huge mission to get to that point. 
And I feel like RPG wise, like that'd be fantastic. It's like, you know, you get to literally the, the lowest level of the dungeon and it's flooding and everyone's going to drown. And you found the priestess and the priestess says eight hours ago, I was having breakfast. Let's talk then. And then you die. And now everything that you had to go through just to earn that trust, you got the passphrase, you got the keyword. And at the beginning of the next cycle, you can, you can just give it, you can just say like, uh, phlebotomy hippopotamus and she's like ah i see you're with me and now we can we, we can continue on without having to go through the whole dungeon like that's a that's an amazing storytelling device which I'm, I'm not gonna lie it actually feels a little bit like what i was pitching with my dark souls game where you've got to get to the next bonfire but then you're safe it's like a instead of a checkpoint in space it's a checkpoint in time Okay, so I haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, so I'm like I I know Ooh. I know if, <laughs> I live in a cave. Um, Goodness, <laughs> man. Okay, so I like I'm being exposed to these concepts piecemeal as we discuss them, and like I'm teasing out the pieces that we want to take from this. Hunkers and I, jerk. How do I internalize that? Yeah. <laughs> I do actually see a distinction between Randall, your, what you want to take from Dark Souls, and random what you want to take from Edge of Tomorrow. The difference there is, Randall, you want the danger in getting from point A to B, and you want the sense of progression to, like, the stop and start of progression and the sense of danger of losing that progression as you move. Random, it sounds like you want the, like, as you move forward in time, move forward along the timeline, in in a sense, there's kind of a meta puzzle going on above the game where like i need to i need to get the green storyline key to unlock the green storyline lock to progress that down that line of the metaphorical decision tree i think that could be a really really fun game but that would be really hard to write like you you would have to be a much better writer than i am not that that not that that's a high bar, but uh, you would have to be a much better writer than I am to make that work. But if you could, man, yeah, I, I think that could be a lot of fun to play. And random, I think you did a really good job solving the like the uh, the fatigue issue, basically. Like, okay, I've killed this skeleton five times now. And then your idea of just turning that into a skill challenge of diminishing difficulty every time you go past that skeleton, I think that solves the fatigue issue. And we might even use that same idea for Randall's Dark Souls thing. Like, oh, yes, we have killed the skeleton five times now. We can just do a skill challenge. We won't get experience, maybe, but we can just do a skill challenge to skip the skeleton. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. So first of all, I want to say uh, RGP bit, you're a fantastic writer. (laughs) Uh, not so much a novelist. Uh, my writing style is more technical documentation than fiction. Yeah. Also, sometimes there's typos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want what Random is pitching, too. Like, that would... Exactly as you say, like, the hardest part of it is the storytelling. If only... Yeah, if we, if we had a reason to play a game like that, I feel like that'd be a lot of fun. We could come up with a reason. Uh, like, uh, okay. It's a day that ends with why. Good enough reason. Yeah. All right. I think there's only one of us less, unless producer Dan also produced a game for us. I'm getting a shaking head. Okay. All right. So there's a game that I don't think either of you have played, which I think is a terrible tragedy and hope you'll play it someday. Uh, It's called Massive Chalice. 
I see a nod from Random and a shaking head from Randall. Okay. I haven't played it, but I've talked to people who have. Okay. Okay. So Massive Chalice, it's if I remember correctly, it's made by Double Fine. The basic premise is you, the player, are some sort of semi-omniscient entity, very long-lived, and your job is to manage a kingdom as the world dies around you. So the entirety of the world, imagine you have a disk of world, and all around it is craziness, and the craziness is gradually eating the world. And your job is to stave off the craziness for some duration of time until the massive chalice charges and scares off the craziness and saves the world. Okay, so it's like Sunday brunch when the keg dies, and we just need to make it until the busboy gets back with the keg to tap it to kind of get all the people to back off of it. Is that the right analogy? Do I have it? I'm going to say no, but that was beautiful. (laughs) Okay, so so you as the omniscient entity control both the individual characters and also kind of noble houses within the context of the world. And because the timeline of the game takes place over several centuries, characters are born, live, and die during that time. When a fight happens, you control the individual characters, D&D style, turn-based combat, all that. But between those encounters, you have to make sure that the noble houses are all getting along. You have to arrange marriages to continue bloodlines so that you have, like, you have these noble heroes because for whatever reason, only the nobility can take class levels, essentially. Okay, that that makes sense. The... You brought up the idea of combat. So there, there's an idea of combat in the game. What motivates there to be combat between... Yeah, well, why do people fight? Great question. So monsters walk out of the craziness. If you don't destroy the monsters, the monsters eat the ground. Does that then spread the craziness? Exactly. So Perfect. like, okay. it, Makes if sense. you lose an encounter, one of your territories is absorbed into the craziness, and you no longer have that territory, the resources from it, and the noble house that lives there. Okay, and you can obviously never recover it in yes. the time of the game. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, so so you are continually fighting off the craziness over the timeline of the game. And managing, you, you can accumulate resources throughout the game. Like, your characters start at higher levels when they're born. Uh, they You can unlock new classes by... I had the wizard noble house and the fighter noble house. Uh, they formed a political marriage and... Like, one of the houses is now Eldritch Knights or Blade Singers or whatever. Essentially, what I really like about it is the long timeline where instead of getting attached to one individual character, because, like, your character might live long enough to play, like, two or three adventures, maybe, and then they're going to die of old age. So you have to manage the, the noble houses of heroes and basically make them all get along to produce better heroes to fight the increasing craziness. So one of the things that both of your games really hit on, and especially um, Massive Chalice, there are things that video games allow you to do that tabletop games have a real struggle with, which is allow you to fail meaningfully and still immediately get back into the action. There's a game design term called flow, where basically humans enjoy challenges the most that are just at the edge of their capabilities. And when you have a game like this that has difficulty levels, 
you're going to find what suits you and you're going to enjoy failure because it's like, oh, so close, man. I, I just, I, if I had had that one turn different, I would have pushed back and, and my chalice would be massive. In a multiplayer setting, that breaks down for a number of reasons. A, you are not the only one making decisions. And so you feel like you only 25% control the outcome at a standard table. And you know, th- that's only within the bounds provided to you by a DM if you are a DM and four players. I appreciate that you have, like, you know, you're only going to play a particular character through a couple of, of encounters because that's going to help with preventing you from getting attached to it. But that also means that you're less invested in the success of that character. And you have to be motivated by the success of the overworld, which is a much harder thing to sell. I find it an interesting concept, and I struggle to turn it into something that would be meaningful multiplayer unless if you are fine with not just the combat being turn-based, but also the, like, political machinations functionally being turn-based, like, if you're fine with turning that into, you know, rather than trying to do these these long things, if you're just, like, people talking at the speed of people talking, <laughs> I could see that being a thing that you could adapt 5e to. That is a, a hard genre. So I I, I want to push back, actually. So what, what Tali's describing to me, I feel like we actually might be able to turn into a DM-less system. But I think we're going to have to add a lot of rules. Like, essentially... D&D 5e is going to be the base of the combat system, and that's what we're going to run. And maybe even the classes in combat, it's, it's going to be, right, we're going to let D&D dictate it. I think we have to add a whole layer of scaffolding around the politics. And that feels exciting to me, but I feel like we actually we, we need to do a lot of work here. Like, one of the things is, what is the opportunity cost? So, sure, we want the Elders Knight, and I, as a character own the uh the the wizard noble house and you as a character own the the fighter or the fighter wizard class no the, the fighter <laughs> noble house if we agree that we're going to you know marry our houses what opportunity cost what are we losing in the politics what opportunity are we potentially then going to fail at later because we chose to make that choice I also think there could be, and I think it would have to be, um, there's a lot of fantastic uh, cooperative games out there. What I'm actually thinking about right now is kind of the Forbidden series, where, like, I've got this map, something bad is happening on the map. When it's my turn, I have special actions as the folks who own, or, or as the character representing, excuse me, the player representing the Wizard Noble House. And those special actions maybe let me stave off the darkness uh, a little bit more. And now when it's your turn, you're going to have to do the same. And we're all fighting for the same thing, but we each have something different to contribute. And, and I think you might be able to wrap those opportunity costs into this. It, maybe what's most exciting to me is the idea that, like, you know, with some random draw on where the monsters show up and what level, like, is this going to be a medium uh, fight for our current status or a hard fight for our current status? If you could come up with a way of randomizing that, you really could have a cool cooperative game with D&D combat that nobody has to sit out and be a DM, that everybody kind of gets to participate as an equal participant. I like a lot of those ideas. Um, Yeah, I think those are all really great points. 
Yeah, the I think the meta political system would definitely be a huge thing and like there there would have to be mechanics and rules around that. I'm and I'm sure we could probably steal those from one of uh any number of cool RPGs about more political things. Well, I'll even say like going back to the source material like what is the actual opportunity cost of making that choice to mix houses? Can you not then mix it with some other house? If I remember correctly, like the basically one of the house's classes is forever changed. So like your your wizard and your fighter class marry, one of the houses becomes the Eldritch Fighter or the Eldritch Knight class instead oh. of fighter class. So like that. Okay. Yeah, and maybe down the line, like they they intermarry with the wizard class again, they get a little closer to wizard and a little further from fighter. So like the basically your class availability changes over time. So you can't be like, okay, I now have the perfect composition of classes because next time the bad guys show up, it's like, ah, we're in this awkward period where we've got four rogue houses by accident. That's actually kind of interesting. Let's say that you, um, you, you do not let the houses stand pat for more than like a generation or two. I know you think of the implication of that, but let's move on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that you you always have to be taking these kinds of actions which means you almost have to have a graph of like okay well if we go down this path we're eliminating a ton of opportunity like that that might manage that problem by itself and then you you know you didn't go into the detail of what the other political issues are but i think this is a good place in my mind where like i kind of want to go play that game to see what's up and then what rules can we actually drag out of it to bring into our system Yeah, I, I will say I would absolutely I I would play that there I mean, like you've both said, there would need to be a lot of work to make the the political intrigue stuff both a a worthwhile part of the game and also have some sort of cost so that it's not just yes, I always marry you. I and with having not <laughs> played the game, I you know, I don't know is there perhaps some some chance of failure. If you try and you know marry one house to another, and the the scions decide, nah, dog, and just run away or something. No, but better instead of getting an eldritch knight, you get like a hobbit that's not very good with long swords. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is some sense of that in the game. Like it, it has some of those rogue style elements where it's like the stats are somewhat randomly generated. So you might end up with like ah. Uh, this this couple had four children. Three of them died in childbirth, or, or died as children, and the fourth has garbage stats. What do I do now? Or if I remember correctly, I had a couple things happen where like the the nobility would marry, and then like ten down, uh, ten years down the line, they're like, oh geez, one of us is barren, so like our noble house is just dead now. So you literally re-roll the house's stats and get it like. You get new nobles from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's what's the quote from Monty Python? It's, it's like, you know, pick one. <laughs> the, the, you know, aquatic, aquatic women handing out swords is no way to establish the nobility or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the right quote. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to ask the question. I, I think I had a good time talking about each of these adaptations. I think we should force ourselves to vote on our favorite version. I'm going to go first to set the mood. I want to play Random's game. 
I'm super excited about that. Writing that game would be a ton of fun. Participating in that game would be a ton of fun. Uh, Tyler, I, I really love your idea too. I uh, full stop. I really love your idea too. But that, like, if if what I'm coming for is like I'm jonesing for D and D, I feel like I could play the most D and D D and D with randoms D and D, and get a really cool story to boot. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think I'd play randoms the most too. The puzzle aspect there just intrigues me. That seems so like so much fun. Yeah, when we're done, you should go watch it tomorrow. Start there. Yes. It is notoriously hard to find on streaming services for free. Uh, they just don't really rotate it in. But, hey, wander down here and I'll lend you a Blu-ray. <laughs> All right. Do you have a Blu-ray player? Uh, my computer has a Blu-ray All disc right, reader right. in it. Because I built it back when physical discs were still important. Yeah, I think I'm running <laughs> out of that. Yeah. All right, random. You have to pick one of the three. Um, Boy, I mean... Honestly, I want to write mine. As soon as I came up with this idea, I started getting the bones for how would I do this? I, I like I had the um, the opening scene, the plot hook to describe to players just pop into my head. Not quite fully formed, but definitely like, okay, here's how I can take this. You know, that by itself would involve porting a 3.0 monster into 5th edition. Not 3.5, 3.0, which is already rough. Wow. That's <laughs> what the monsterizer is for. There you go. Perfect. All right. We have a question of the week this week. Uh, question of the week this week comes to us from Twitter at WilkieDS. Is following the rules becoming the uncool way to play D&D? Rules were meant to be broken, Wilkie. Uh <laughs> This is kind of just a natural shift in the tabletop RPG landscape. Like, the RPGs used to be way, way crunchier than they are now, and over time, things have moved towards more story-driven rules-like games. Like, if you go back an edition of D&D, it's way crunchier than 5th edition. Before that, it's way crunchier than 4th edition. Before that, I don't know if you could call it crunchier so much as just look-up tables, Story-driven, rules-light games are very popular right now, and in a lot of cases, people are getting very okay with just rule of cool in D&D. I wouldn't say that completely ignoring the rules is becoming more popular, but people are getting more comfortable deviating from the rules, especially as we see like examples in actual plays and live streams and stuff of people playing D&D and saying, hey... Like, you want to jump over the pit, we'll make an ability check or something, even though that's not strictly written into the rules. Just personally, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that there's really only two rules, which is apply things consistently and make sure everyone at the table is having fun. And even applying things consistently, that can bend. The only real rule, rule zero, is what the DM says goes. And as long as everyone's having fun while that's happening, then you're good. You really want to make sure that you are playing enough with the same consistency so that people can have an expectation to be grounded on. You know, if if you say, I'm going to run a, a totally boundary-free, no-rails game, um, and someone says, great, I built my character like this, and you say, ah, oh, that's fabulous, um, and you're going to use it twice, and then I'm going to decide that intimidation no longer works that way. Get bent. I feel like as long as everyone is coming together cooperatively rather than the us versus DM mentality that used to be a lot more prevalent in previous editions, 
the rules are there to be guidelines. Thanks, Pirates of the Caribbean. I I want to really approach this from the social aspect of it, right? So if you were a DM and you were trying to get your table to play by a particular rule, you're being a stickler for particular rules, and the feedback you're getting from your table is, uh, this sucks and I hate it and I hate you and why are you doing this to me? I, I think that's good feedback. I think it's a strong signal that we need we need to back off and we need to figure out what it is that the players don't love. And so if that makes you feel as a DM, like following the rules is uncool, you know, that sucks. And, and part of it might be finding players who relish in the level of detail that are available to us in the rules at the same level that you do. Vice versa, if you were a player and you're sitting at a table and you constantly find yourself <laughs> being the like, well, actually player at the, uh, you know, at the, at the table and the DM is like, Oh, I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow it. You know, I think that might be something to take one-on-one with the DM. Like, Hey, did you know there's something to adjudicate these rules? This is something we share with people. I think if you, if you spoon feed people a little bit more complexity, a bit at a time, folks will tend to take the, the rules as you offer them and integrate it into their way of thinking. That's a thing that leads to people learning more about the game and potentially enjoying the game more because there's a lot of fruit to be bore by, by following this. Vice versa, if it's constantly like, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, it doesn't work that way, I think that's really disappointing for the table. And I think that's a great place to follow the DM's lead if the DM is occasionally just saying, you know what, I'm going to allow it. I don't think following the rules is becoming uncool, but I think if you're the only person at the table rules lawyering, you may be misreading the room. I think that's a really good way to put it. All right. And with that, so again, thank you for that question. I had a good time with it. I think everybody else did too. Our next episode, we're going to be discussing mundane medicine. I'm Randall James. You can find me at amateurjack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Kamstra. You'll find me at rpgbot.net, Facebook and Twitter at rpgbotdotnet, and patreon.com slash rpgbot. And I'm Random Pell. You'll probably find me writing this story for the next long period of time. Uh, but if I'm taking some downtime, you may find me where people play games at uh, or as Harlequin or Harlequint. Otherwise, you'll find me here on the website contributing to the podcast and writing articles. Hail. hail. All right. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Hail. Hail? Hail? Hail. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. In particular, you're going to find a link to Edge of Tomorrow. If you haven't <laughs> seen it, go find it. Or, you know, click the link and watch it there. It'll be great. You can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe and share it with your friends. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Thanks, folks. We hope you had a good time. I could see that. Yeah.